Before you dive into this exciting episode, I'd like to let you know about the Squash Playbook, your tactical blueprint for success. The playbook is written based on the most common solutions I have given to the people I coach over the last 20 years. It is the ultimate how-to guide for any squash fan, and you can grab a free copy right away by visiting squashplaybook.com or clicking on the link in the show notes. Are you freaked out by that hard-hitting hacker? Frustrated with running out of ideas against the relentless retriever? Want to close out matches more clinically when in the lead? Or do you need some mental tools to overcome bad calls by referees? These answers plus many more have been brought together all in one place for the squash community. The Squash Playbook is a practical toolkit that breaks down over 40 scenarios that are most commonly faced on the court. Each scenario provides the psychology and the strategy needed to get a positive result. Each chapter wraps up with the top six key points to keep things simple and practical. The aim of the book is to transform reactive players into proactive tacticians. I focus on breaking down complex situations into straightforward, effective strategies for those high pressure moments in a match. So why not grab your copy now and step onto the court next time with a clear head and a set of strategies to win those matches you know you're capable of. Please enjoy the show. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, hope everyone is keeping well out there with a positive mindset and looking forward to squash resuming as per normal, hopefully very soon. So I welcome to the show today, Amanda Sobey. This is a two-parter. The conversation took so many different forms and directions and led us down so many different rabbit holes that I'm just so happy we were able to explore and really grateful for the time that Amanda gave me today in order to really take a deep dive into her mindset and her mentality. And I think it was quite appropriate to split this podcast into two parts. In part one, we have a look at her childhood, her upbringing, talk about her transition into college at Harvard, and talk about how this actually lended to a positive mindset when she got on the tour and how balancing being at Harvard and being able to take on all the pressures of studies was a real massive contributing factor. And we investigate and explore a lot of her younger days and her transition onto the pro tour. But what was really insightful in part one especially was the conversations around mental health. And I'm just so happy and grateful that Amanda was able to open up and speak about this really candidly. And anyone who's listening can hopefully take some real advice from someone who is like Amanda, who comes across as very bubbly, happy, not a care in the world, but actually there's there's a lot going on. There's a lot of interesting things we talk about in regard to mental health, the parent-coach relationship and how this developed over time and how it was, was pretty difficult. So as I said, I hugely, hugely appreciated that Amanda could open up about this and I hope you all will be able to get something out of this and reflect on it. And we do take a bit of a deeper dive, obviously, into the mindset. We talk a lot about Mike Way in this podcast, her influence at Harvard, as well as how she goes about her day-to-day life and how she deals with things and how she tries to get herself in, in a happy place to perform at her best. 
So I can honestly say this has been one of my most favorite chats up to date on the Squash Mind podcast series for a number of different reasons. But for those of you who don't know Amanda, she is the US number one player. Uh, she was the first player to win the World Junior Championships or the first US player to win the World Junior Championships. And quite a cool little record here. She was the first player to claim three tour titles at the age of 16. She started the game relatively late in, in the big picture at around 10, 11 years old, but was really into a bunch of other sports. And how this actually helped, we go into a bit of a discussion on early or late specialization in regard to this. And she's just doing some wonderful things in, in the game at the moment, you know, been solidly placed in that top 10 for a long time. Uh, had her massive injury in 2017 where she ruptured her Achilles and we get into a little bit more detail of that in the second part of the podcast. So without further ado and a real diamond of a discussion here between myself and Amanda Sobey. Amanda Sobey, really cool to have you here. Welcome to the next episode of the Squash Mind podcast series. How are you keeping? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, I'm looking forward to this episode. Cool, great, and yeah, we we just shared a bit of uh, a bit of a, a weird connection, maybe 10, 15 years ago, about your brother. He came, was in England, and I put him through his level two course. So, and we've had a few other connections along the way. Quite quite an interesting one on Twitter <laughs> when we first started talking. We might get into that later on. <laughs> I know. Well, that that's my first impression, just to make sure that you uh, really remember me. <laughs> Brilliant. I know you started started strong, a high benchmark, and we go from there. <laughs> but listen, I think a good place to start would be for you to be able to paint a picture about. About your childhood growing up what this involved and how you gravitated towards squash yeah so I started squash when I was 11 which was relatively late I was one of those uh, kids who played many many sports growing up tennis was my first sport soccer softball played volleyball in middle school I played a little bit of like lacrosse um, and it was squash was kind of one of the last sports that I picked up. Granted, my family played, everybody in my family played squash. My okay. dad is from Egypt. He was a squash player growing up. Um, he played a bit on the pro tour. He played, was like nationally ranked, one of the top players in Egypt. Came over in the 80s to play in more tournaments in the U.S. and to coach and more opportunities. And played in tournaments in New York City that my mom was the organizer of. Oh, cool. So my that, mom, that how they met? did they meet at those how, tournaments? Yeah, really? that's how they met. And my mom picked up squash late. So she picked it up in her twenties, mm -hmm. but she was active, super competitive, like loved sports and just being active and everything. And so gravitated towards squash. And back in the day, like in the eighties, it was hardball. Um, but my mom loved it. And then, so that's how she got involved in the sport. And then my parents met and while they're not, they're divorced and they've been divorced for years, but they were one big, like unconventional squash family. Um, <laughs> so what, yeah. what, what, what I'm always fascinated in that early development of children, like how, you know, what other sports lends to their, their sport they specialize in. So can you talk on that? Like, like what, what, the, what those sports offered that then overlapped that when you played squash, did it give you a, a good starting point? Absolutely. I think the fact that I just grew up playing so many sports made me a good athlete and just uh, gave me different kind of perspective and skills to use. Um, with tennis, I was just so used to hitting such using a heavier racket, hitting a heavier ball. Um, I was a big volleyer in tennis, which then translated to help me out with my power in squash. Mm -hmm. um, and then with soccer, like you're just used to running around all, all the time, kicking a ball. So it develops all these skills that you can then bring in to become like a good squash player and an athletic person. Um, mm -hmm. And once I, once I picked up squash at 11, like I was just my older brother, Omar, who, you know, he started squash first. And so I was dragged to tournaments with him and I just would get on court and hit a bit. And, you know, people were like, Oh, you're pretty good. Just naturally. Cause I was used to hitting a ball with a racket. Um, so my dad just threw me in a squash tournament, like one of those silver events. And I loved it. I just loved the intensity of it. I love that. It's just you and one other person inside of this court. Um, mm -hmm. it's fast pace. It requires so much thinking and skill. 
and I didn't win it, but I did well. I think I got to the finals and it was just, I had a blast where, and like, I felt confident doing it. Whereas with tennis, I was playing, I had lessons for years, but I was just so afraid to play a tournament. Oh, right. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. My serve was horrible in tennis. <laughs> and so I refused to ever play a tournament. Oh, wow. Okay. So that was a bit of a barrier. And then, and then when you obviously got this love for squash pretty early on, how quickly did those other four sports fade into the background or did you keep them going a bit to help your squash? What happened there? Yeah, I kept it going. So at 12, I, my dad basically said, okay, choose squash or tennis and become really good at it. Mm -hmm. And I chose squash. Um, I loved it more. I was more comfortable like going and playing tournaments. And that was, so that was kind of the end of my tennis. So tennis stopped then, but I was still playing consistently soccer, softball, and in middle school, volleyball. Cool. Well, that brings me very nicely to my next little bit, because this is an amazing stat and I'm sure you're fully aware of it, but you were the first player to claim three tour titles at 16 years old. That's hugely impressive. So, okay, starting squash, I say late, but 11, 12, and then to get three tour titles by 16. Let's talk about your mindset. What, what was going on at that, that point of your life, you know, getting three tour titles at 16? And can you reflect on that? Yeah, it was, I was kind of um, a little bit of a late bloomer. So my first years playing squash like I wasn't very good um 12 13 and then because my dad's um our dad was our coach growing up so there was a lot of just like squash all the time um <laughs> which has its pros and cons um and having a parent as a coach has its pros and cons as well but um we would go in the summers and by that time my parents were divorced so half the summer we'd be with my dad, half the summer we'd be with my mom. And in the summers with my dad, we'd go to Egypt and spend five weeks there. And he grew up playing at Heliopolis Sporting Club, which is like one of the big clubs there that have been around for ages. And he would just, we'd go there in the morning and we'd just stay there pretty much all day long. And he'd just dump us at the squash courts. We'd go there, we'd go to the pool, we'd go to the track, everything. Um, and he'd go about like doing all his work, his business, everything. And so mm -hmm. we were just surrounded by that environment with all of those players. There's so many players there. And we got a, a little taste of what like squash in Egypt as mm. kids is like. Yeah. Uh, so we, we got that development, um, which helped a ton. I think when I came back one summer after spending um, like five weeks in Egypt, my growth just kind of accelerated from there and I went mm -hmm. from like being maybe seven in the under 13s and I won my first national title in the under 15s and then from there it just kind of like kept going up and up that must have been an amazing snowball experience because like, like I said, your, your curve of, of improvement must have been ridiculous. And that, that's going to be super motivating, give you a lot of confidence along the way. But I just want to reflect on two things you said there. Firstly, about the, the idea of specialization, early to late specialization, because that's such a big debate that I always like getting into. And secondly, um, you smiled when you said it, but being coached by parents. So I don't know if you want to start with the early, late specialization, what, what positive, positives and negatives you got from that? Yeah, with the specialization late, it allowed me to have the choice almost of choosing the, the sport I wanted to specialize in because I loved it. And I had the opportunity to play all of these other sports. And I love them. Like, I, soccer was my last one that I stayed with. Um, my dad also at that time, like, if I was going to do another sport, he wanted me to do another sport that was like very rigorous, like athletic was going to help me with my squash. Um, I wanted to play volleyball a bit more, but he said that, oh, two hours of volleyball is like a waste because you're not really running all the time. Um, <laughs> Being very specific with what if you're going to, if you're going to do something, you got to maximize your time. Yeah. It. Cause it was, it was a couple hours after school and that like took into training time. So soccer was, I love soccer and I've been doing it. I was doing it for years, um, but I, I loved volleyball as well. Um, softball, I stopped after eighth grade because I um, ran through a base and fractured my growth plate in my ankle because um, the base wasn't packed properly. So I was out then for 
five, five weeks, six weeks. And I was supposed to go play all those European tournaments um, that summer. And I had to stop. I couldn't do it. So my dad was so mad because he thinks that softball is just not, not athletic at all. And there's no running involved. And so my body was weak. Um, and that's why I hurt myself okay. um, when it was just a freak accident. So yeah. that ended it. But you know, I think because I got these opportunities to play all of these sports for years, mm-hmm. I didn't resent squash when I did decide to specialize in it mm-hmm. and have that be as my main sport. It was more like, okay, I got a taste of these sports. I enjoyed it, everything, but I, I love squash more mm-hmm. um, and I want to do really well in it. So it's not so much being forced into squash and then you're like resenting it being like, oh, I wish I was able to play these other sports I wish I was able to do this and I grew up with music as well like I have a whole musical background too so I was like playing a bunch of instruments so I had other things in my life too amazing which were outlets for me and squash was the main priority but it wasn't like that was it Mm -hmm. and you know if I didn't and so I played it because I loved it it Mm. wasn't because my parents put me in there Mm. thinking that like oh this is good for your future and do you think that had a a positive contributing effect on those those titled and then maybe fast forward a little bit to the becoming the first U.S. person to win a world junior title can you talk on on how that the mindset was was it was it stronger or was it just more relaxed in that point what what do you think I think it, it was stronger because it was um I was doing it for myself Um, and I won those tournaments because I, I enjoyed the sport one and, you know, I wanted to be the best in it. Mm -hmm. I wanted to just really push myself and do it for myself. So I was kind of internally motivated instead of like, oh, my dad's like forcing me to play this tournament. Mm -hmm. This sucks, but I'll just play it. Um, cause I'm here. And, you know, it's good for college, blah, blah, blah. Like, I wasn't thinking about those external motivations. It was more like, I love this. I want to be the best at it. Like, I want to beat people. Awesome. That's so cool. If you can, if you can obviously bottle that and, and, and give it to people, that's what you would do. But what, what, then what was that relationship like between your dad and coaching? And, and, and where was there friction along the way? Or um, where was the encouragement? <laughs> there was a lot. There was a lot of friction. I am... Uh, Personally, I'm not the biggest fan of having a parent as a coach. I think it's a very, very fine line to try and master both. Um, I think that having a parent as a coach, one suffers, either the parent relationship or the coach relationship. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was the parent relationship. My dad and I didn't have a great relationship. Um, we've had our ebbs and flows, um, even until I would say pretty much up until like the last year. Um, so yeah, it definitely, it definitely suffered. Um, and looking back at it, you know, he's, I'm very thankful for everything he's done for me. And how much he's pushed me as like a coach and everything and just wanting me to succeed and be the best. And he sacrificed a lot. Um, But as a result, it completely like destroyed our father daughter relationship. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That that does sound really, really difficult and hard to go through, but, you know, reflecting back and and it sounds like you both grew and both were able to, you know, manage it at certain points, but it's really encouraging to hear that the relationship is good. Are are you guys still working together now? Was it a little bit? Hell, absolutely not. Sorry. I was about to say, hell no. (laughs) Like, Oh my God. Absolutely not there. It got to a point when I went to college, I, I told him very much like, I want you to be a parent and I've had to like, flat out tell him, I want you to be my father. I want you to just be a dad. Like, don't come and share your opinions unless like I ask for it because he has a, he very much like he cares a lot, but it comes across, he crosses boundaries every time. And so he just can't help himself. And he just wants to share his input, just wants to share his input. So when I started working when, and like, I need to figure out, my own journey on my own. And that's going to mean like, I'm going to fail. I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm going to learn from it to grow as a person. And I can't 
And I didn't want him to hold my hand and guide me to like do what he thinks is best for me. Mm, totally. Yeah. Well, at that, at that point, you you need well. It sounds like you need more of a support base, someone to uh, someone to nurture you through that, rather than try and give you advice. Would you say that exactly? True? And that's what I wanted. And I kept telling him, and I was like, "Listen, just either like you can be there to support me as a father and say, hey, like you know, I'm here for you. Like I love you. I'm proud of you. All of that stuff. And like ask me after tournaments, like you know." what do I want to eat for dinner or let's go see a movie or something? Like, I don't want to talk about squash. I don't want you to analyze my squash, which is what he would do. Like right after I would lose a match or something or win, mm. at least I'd have like a little bit longer of a time, but then I'd get like a whole essay of a text or like everything. And I was like, this is too much. Yeah. Um, so I, I basically had to give him like a very clear ultimatum. I was like, listen, you can either support me, um, support my team that I'm working with and, be there for me or I'm going to have to like cut you out. Hmm. Um, and there were periods where I had to complete like kind of communication from him, everything, because he was just so bad for my mental health. Um, and also for like my just squash and kind of like, he would just fill my head with doubt and just make me believe that like, what I'm doing isn't good enough and all of that. So it was just very negative mm. and I didn't need that. Like I was trying to, you know, I need like that positive affirmation, like the positive reinsurance that like I am on the right path. Like, you know, maybe I'm not reaching that success, mm. but I'm my journey's on the right, like it's, I'm doing the right things. And, yeah. you know, I wanted that support system and I wasn't getting it from him. And so there, it was tough. Like there were times when I, I basically had to block him from all communication for like half a year. Wow. Oh, Amanda, honestly, thank you so much for sharing. And hopefully people that are listening to this, some juniors that can have a real positive impact on them. You know, they might hear you saying those words and, and, and gets them to reflect and pause a little bit. And same with parents who are listening to this. And, and I've been lucky enough to be contacted by parents listening on this platform saying some of the messages you're talking about are really powerful for parents, um, child relationships. So hearing someone, you go through those struggles, reflect on them and, and give that message is really powerful. So thank you so much for that. That that's amazing. And, it just reminds me a little bit of one story, maybe more for, for juniors. Um, I heard this advice quite a, quite a while back about um, the parent parental support after an event. And, you know, when you're driving home after an event, you know, the most important conversation the parent can have with the child at that point is what flavor ice cream they want on the way home. I think yes. that, that sums it up brilliantly. It's like, don't dissect the game. Don't tell them what they went good or bad. It's actually, what ice cream do you want? Let's go get some ice cream. What yeah. do you think? hundred percent. I would tell my parents both because my mom is, my mom cares a lot too. And while she wasn't involved in the game as long, she's very competitive. So she just wants to like share her input too. So I have input from my dad, input from my mom and I had to, and they both loved cross boundaries. And so I had to make clear boundaries with them and say, listen, Mm -hmm. like I want you after a match, win or lose, like, just all I want you to say is I'm proud of you and ask me what I want for dinner. That's yep. it. I was like, I don't want to hear anything about squash. Yep. That's a, it's amazing advice. And yeah, I think hopefully I can imagine there's a few people listening to that and hopefully some sparks are flying off. Yeah. I think that's really nicely to, um, to, to college, uh, Harvard. Amazing. You know, I, I'm curious to look at what did going to college offer you mentally that maybe you would not have got going onto the tour at say 18? Yeah, this is a great question. And it's actually been something that's been circulating a lot on the social media. Um, So I'm very passionate about it. And I think a lot of people that have had the opportunity to go to college, play college squash, and then go on the pro tour afterwards, realizes the benefit that it has on their game and also has on themselves as a person than just going straight onto the pro tour. For me, college was like so difficult. It's, it's so challenging to go be an academic student, student athlete. I was playing on the pro tour, trying to have a social life, balance all of that. You're in this um, very like academically rigorous environment that is high stress. You know, you're not able to 
be in a structured routine almost like you're thrown all over the place and you have to cope. Mm -hmm. And that's taught me how strong I am as a person. It's taught me um, time management skills. It showed me just how resilient I am that I can basically get through any tough time and make it out of it Mm -hmm. and force me to think at a higher level just because I am at a like high academic environment. And so when I did play tournaments, it was, it was the same sort of tough environment physically and mentally and everything. But I was like, I've been here before, you know, I, this isn't something that I'm like freaking out over. This is Mm -hmm. okay. Like, and literally even college is tougher to do all of that. And then, so to just go play a squash match was, wasn't that big of a jump. It was almost like a step down a little yeah. bit, just in terms of just the stress level that I was under. Mm. I love, I love that. And yeah, that the social media stuff on this recently has been really, really cool to follow. And sounds like, you know, as, as coaches and maybe when you don't have college, you, you're trying to create this high pressure environment, but what happens? It becomes all about squash. The, the environment always created pressure on squash, whereas you had pressure of college and then pressure of squash. It's almost like you, you could play them off each other a little bit and going, yeah. the squash one's going so well, I've got an outlet of college. And, you know, that, if the outlet's not going so well of college, there might be squash. And it sounds like you got that balance well. And, and would you say it added to your, your resilience, as you said, in your mental toughness? You, you thought it, it was such an influential thing for you. Oh, 100%. I mean, it it totally added to my resilience because also like, college is a tough environment. You're, you're learning a lot about yourself. Um, it's a big like developmental years from 19 to 22. And, and you're on your own. A lot of the times, like you have mental health issues, like you're thrown, like there's eating issues, like everything, like everything you can imagine. And you're, you're young and development all under this. And so to have to go through those four years in college and you learn a lot about yourself, like how strong you are as a person, what you can overcome, um, kind of mentally, like what you need in life, like what works for you, what doesn't, um, you have anxiety, like everything, you know? And, and then you can, when you do get into a squash match and you struggle, like, it's tough here. It's the same mentally. It's tough. It's challenging. You know, you're going to have to overcome challenges and difficulties, but you've been there before. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. Like when I, when I did play those matches, I've been there before, you know, I've overcome a lot of difficulties. And so, you know, if you're down in a squash match, you, you can think back to those times where you overcome tough times and you're like, okay, I've done this before. I can do this in a squash match. Like it's going to be okay. That's so awesome. That's so cool to hear. So yeah, like you're using the benchmark and, and your environments are, are just so primed for, for that resilience and toughness and very big picture. You can almost zooming out and look at the big picture, but that links me on to Mike way. You know, he's had a huge influence on a lot of players and it's going to talk about the support systems you had at college. What did he bring to you mentally? I think he was, so he was very um, contrasting to my dad. So my dad is old school mentality, like more is more, you know, you have to put the work in. If you don't have like a solid, like good two hour session, doesn't count. That's a rest day. You know, you have a light, you were there, but like you were tired, had a light session. No, doesn't count. You want to go hang out with your friends, go train beforehand. Mm -hmm. So to then grow up with that kind of mentality and then switch over to Mike. That's like, less is more. Listen to your body. You know, if you're not feeling good, it's okay. Like, you know, just relax everything. Like, and so I'm almost just thrown from one extreme to the other, which was a big adjustment for me. Um, But I, I liked having that. I learned a lot from Mike in the sense that, you know, if my, like I started to listen to my body a bit more Mm -hmm. and I stopped having those feelings of like guilt and shame associated with not being able to keep up a six day a week, like two hours every day type training regimen. It's just really not possible to do in college. (laughs) Um, And then to have like, make those sessions all quality, like, oh my God. So 
when I was thrown into that college environment, it forced me to accept a little bit more that, hey, it's okay if I have to take three days off instead of just the one day that I'm used to, you know, I'm not going to lose all of my squash and fitness in those extra two days that I'm taking off. Um, And when you're kind of, when you're taught that for years and years and years, you know, there's so many feelings of like the guilt. Oh, I'm guilty for, I feel guilty for taking an extra like couple days off Mm -hmm. or shame of like, you know, I'm a bad I'm not disciplined enough because I have to take more, a few more days off or I haven't been able to train. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I had to unravel all of that. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com negative like um mindset and negative kind of Mm self-talk and then reprogram my brain again into the sense that like it's okay you know my body is telling me I need to rest I am very stressed out I have papers due I have homework it's okay that I'm taking a few more days off or Mm -hmm. you know I'm not a bad like squash player because I just had a horrible week of training. Like, you know, maybe I need to dial it down a little bit and give my body a bit more rest. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was all, it was becoming a lot more mindful. um, Mm -hmm. And that helped me a ton. I think for when I did transition fully out of college and onto the pro tour. Perfect. Wow. That's really cool to hear. And, and yeah, it sounds like he was an amazing support base and support system. What, 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 what do you think you've, well, you just touched on it there, but I want to explore that a bit more. What lessons do you think you extracted from Mike and that college experience that you possibly still use now and that, that you bring to the party? It is. He taught me a lot with the, um, the mindfulness aspect. He started it um, for me. Whereas before I was very much like a, kind of work sergeant soldier that was like, okay, this is my training program. I have to do it this week. Um, If I don't, then I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas he gave me a lot more acceptance in myself and just listening to my body and focusing more on quality of sessions versus quantity. Mm -hmm. So in college, you know, you're not going to always be able to train like twice a day, two hours each session. Um, You have so much more, you have so much on your plate. So having to really maximize your time when you are training is crucial. So we would go, I would talk to him and I say, Hey, Mike, like I want to work on these points. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, okay, we would then figure out like through my week schooling sessions and stuff, what days were good that I had more flexibility where I could come in and put in a little bit more time and work solely on that aspect. Maybe I just had an hour, but I would come and I would really get the most out of that hour. And he's helped me a ton, just having that mindset and framework instead of like, okay, I need to do two sessions every day, six days a week. I only have one day off and like, they've got to be really, really tough physically. Yeah, I totally. I think that the whole idea of, of that training hard is good. It's like, no, it's train smart. Like, like you said, yeah. listen to your body, reflect, um, maybe maybe journal on things. And, and so there's two big things that come to mind there. Firstly, I want to investigate mindfulness because I'm, I'm really big on that and I love it. And I'm in, a in, huge person on mindfulness. In, in the app itself, it's, there's a lot of mindfulness stuff, which I love and really trying to get people more into it. And the second thing, which I will start with this one is, Obviously, you went to that environment of college, which was a lot more open, if we can say that, where it's more flexible. Did any part of you 
possibly not, but going, hey, I've got such freedom now, I can do whatever I want. And and did one, any part of you go that far the other way where you needed to go completely away from the regimented side? Um, I didn't, I wouldn't say the regimented side because I was still very much like, I love squash, I want to like play squash um, and do well and play on the pro tour. But mine was almost like, because I came from my father's strict, um, he's Egyptian. So like, he's not big on like going out. He sees drinking as like terrible. So when I did get to college, I was like freedom from him. And I just partied so hard. Oh my God. I would like consistently that first semester, I went out consistently every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I was like, and so it was just, I went from one extreme to the other. Yeah. Which is not great. Like, <laughs> and, and then it took a while for me to like find a nice balance out of it. Um, but I did, I just wanted to, I saw myself, you know, I finally like got released from the, the collar that I was basically, or the leash that I was on for the last like seven years or something and I just took full advantage of it until like I you needed it at that moment it was it was probably the best thing that could have happened for you in that yeah. period of time yeah yeah so I needed it until I could like figure out myself you know what I actually like I don't feel great my squash now is suffering because of it I'm getting injured because I'm just not fit um I want to go back to feeling good I want to go back to like having my squash like be in a good place and so I had to figure that all out on myself but, you know, I had to get to that point where I was kind of like enjoying myself fully to realize like, you know what, this is, this is fun. I've had enough and yeah. I'm good. Like I want to, I want to get back now into training and focusing on my squash and finding a healthier balance. But that, that links a little bit to what you said earlier about when you were younger, it was your intrinsic motivation. You were driven by yourself. And sounds like you needed that outlet. And then all of a sudden there was your own realization, Hey, I'm going to take this head on now. I've had my bit there and I'm going to go into it. And it sounds like you, you've got that balance really cool, but listen, let's dive into some mindfulness. Talk to me. Yeah. Let me, let me know where you're at with it. What do you do? What's your practices? Yeah. So I've gotten really, really big into mindfulness. Part of my, and this has been years and years in the making. Um, so now I'm in like a very good place where I, I know what my body needs. I know mentally what I need. Um, I know what's good for me, but the last, I would say maybe the last decade or so, um, I was very much an all or nothing, a black or white personality. Mm -hmm. And it was, in everything I did, whether it was working out, training, um, eating, like going out, all of that. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to, I worked a lot on like getting to a bit more into that gray area of moderation, listening a lot to my body. Um, and so I, and being a lot more present, um, working on acceptance and, you know, trying to get rid of those like lingering voices of shame and guilt and all of that um, and get more to a place of acceptance and like self-love and like trying to take care of my body. And so I do a lot of meditation, journaling, like every morning I have a good routine of like gratitude journal where I'll like write a few things down that I'm grateful for. And it's, and that is um, with the whole gratitude. I mean, it's easy to just kind of like not really think too much about it and just do like, I'm grateful for this, blah, blah, blah. Whereas I try and like take my time to really think of things that I'm like truly grateful for, like grateful for the opportunities that this happened. Like I'm grateful for all the like tough things that I went through in my life. Mm -hmm. for because it's made me who I am today and it's like made me a lot stronger it taught me so many lessons and so I'm grateful for those opportunities even though if in the moment it truly sucks mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. um yeah and then I'll just journal almost like a little mind dump every day of just things that kind of comes into my brain whether like how I'm feeling things I need to just do that's just kind of like in my mind that's like giving me anxiety that I just need to like get out of my brain mm. um and then I'll meditate for 15 minutes um 
And then I kind of go and, and start my day a bit. Um, So I'll do that, but I've really just kind of started to be a lot more present and take things more in the moment and enjoy what's happening in the moment Mm -hmm. than worry about like what I have to do the rest of the week or what's later down the line. Uh, so awesome to hear that. And and listen, you're speaking my language there. I've, I've got a very similar process in the morning. Um, I'm very much daily stoic journaling, and then I go into a bit more open journaling. Then I, I, I don't know what app you use. I use Sam Harris um, waking up app. Headspace is amazing as well. Yeah, um, I use Calm. Use Calm. Yeah, see, I've, I've played around with Calm a bit. Um, I'm probably going to loop back to it at some point as well. I started with Calm, then I went Headspace, but I'm loving the yeah. Sam Harris stuff right now. Um, and yeah, like you said, you talk about being present. I, I think I think we all know the importance of being present, but the, the question I always have is, what are we doing to cultivate it? How are we practicing it? You know, we can we can tell ourselves, come on, be present in a moment of pressure and a match. But hey, if you've done nothing up until that point, our brain's not wired for that. And it sounds like you, you're really starting to discover that side of things as well. Yeah, it's funny because a lot of people, it says, okay, this is what you have to do. And then so they'll do it once and they're like, well, why don't I, why, why am I not seeing a difference? And, <laughs> and it makes me laugh because- uh, like, I mean, this has been years in the making and this is why I, I'm now starting to understand why a lot of players peak later in their career mm-hmm. is because they do learn so much about themselves. Um, and they understand, they get to a place where they're like truly accepting of themselves, truly happy with themselves. And for me personally, like I had to get to that place where mm-hmm. I genuinely like believed in myself. I was confident in myself. Um, I was happy with myself. And so, and even in, not even just as a squash player, but as like Amanda, the non-squash player, you know, I had to get to a point where like, I truly loved myself who I was Mm -hmm. and was happy with kind of my outside life and felt confident in myself that then I would carry that onto the squash court and I would be able to truly express myself as a squash player. Nice. Well, that I, I don't know if you're reading some of the notes I've written here, but you're literally leading me to my next question, which was <laughs> your character and identity is, is fun. It's outgoing. It's expressive. It comes across really well on TV and, and the way you go about your business. So maybe expand on that last point. But, but what I was going to go with was, does this reflect in the way you try and play in the way you look at your career, like really linking your character to this? Absolutely. I I've spent a long time and I've um, worked with like my team of just trying to find my identity of who I am, whether uh, off court or on court and just finding what the, wh- where I can, where I, when I thrive in squash, like what attributes create that um, and how can I truly express myself freely on the squash court. And for me, what I've realized is just when I am, myself my my true authentic self and I'm able to kind of go out there and just be like hey this is me like yeah I'm enjoying it um I find myself that I play my best squash through Mm -hmm. that um it's like authenticity happiness for me is huge it's crucial if I'm happy with like myself my outside life that translate into my squash Mm -hmm. um the happiness and enjoyment aspect of it and just the confidence too you know having confidence in myself and then being able to have that confidence on the squash court too Mm. I mean, it, it totally looks like that when when you are in that zone and, and you're getting those good results you, you can almost you, you're everything the body language the way you look at things the way you're smiling about things it, it, it's so encouraging and it, it's a great example i try use for 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 juniors i think sometimes you know maybe in the english model it's it's very quite regimented and like we yeah. do a leads to b leads to c and it's almost like you're snuffing out the character a little bit it's actually you know what let's go express ourselves but can you expand a bit more in regard to maybe some examples of, of when you thought you played your best and, and it was linking with your happiness and the authenticity and can does anything come to mind when I ask that yeah I think the most recent time was um the last black ball in December um when I beat Norrell Shrabini 11-9 in the fifth um I had just kind of come out of or the previous like three to four months I was in such a like 
difficult like down place Mm -hmm. and I was struggling with motivation I was struggling with enjoyment of the sport I lost that kind of um, internal motivation of wanting to do it for myself Um, I was dealing with a lot of personal issues that were affecting me mentally and I just was not in a good place in every aspect like I just wasn't happy and all of that and so I basically found leading up to black ball, I had to find that happiness again, happiness in myself, happiness in my game, had to find love again, like in both myself, my game, Mm -hmm. all of that. And so it was a process. And thankfully it like, it peaked at the right time. (laughs) It was an amazing tournament. Well, so what how did you go through that process obviously very it sounds very difficult maybe to revisit and feel free to not share whatever but like how did you manage to cultivate that and actually address it in a, in a positive way yeah um and so i've i've spoken a lot about it recently and now that i'm like very much out of it i can look back in and be like okay i'm very thankful for the experience but i never want to get back to that no. place <laughs> um, but now that i know like what triggered me to get into that place almost i can I can see when I do start to fall back into that pattern and I can almost like pluck myself a little bit out of that situation before I fall so far back down into the rabbit hole. But in the fall, like I definitely struggled a bit with the getting back onto the tour um, and the new kind of reality of the bubble and being extremely isolated. And I just had come from being kind of, in one place for a long time. And I love that because then I was able to, I wasn't necessarily training, but I was working out for my own health and well-being and happiness. And there was kind of, there wasn't that, there was structure, but I was able to really like do whatever was good for my body. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, so to then get thrown back into tour life where it is a bit more structured and regimented and training, like, training to perform, eat to perform, like everything's to perform. And, you know, I was, I just, I struggled in general with all of that. And I felt very much alone. Like I didn't feel that supported. Um, And I lost the enjoyment when I got back. I, I kind of, I was happy to compete in the first tournament, but by the end, I completely like did not enjoy my time being on court and I was like why am I doing this my body hurt I was just getting injured with all the time um I didn't really like the aspect of living out of a suitcase again and so mentally it was very very negative um well sounds very very contrasting to what you had been dealing with you know it was a huge jarring effect and Again, a few of the players I work with had to deal with that uh, overseas as well and going to hotels so many days before and 48 hours by yourself in a hotel room. And yeah, brutal. Like I, and you say going from that good place to that is difficult, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really difficult combined with the fact that like I wasn't getting great results out of it too. So that kind of knocks you down a little bit further. And then you're like, well, this sucks. Why am I doing this? I'm not enjoying this. I just, I don't know if I am truly like, happy with the sport anymore. Um, And so I had to, when I got back from those first events, I had to take a good, like hard look in the mirror and be like, do I want to continue on and like put the hard work in knowing that like, it's not going to be easy Mm -hmm. um, or should I start transitioning out? And at this point, like we didn't really know when the next tournament was. Mm -hmm. Um, I, like was struggling financially. And so I was thinking, you know, I can't just sit around and wait till the next event when I'm not making any money and I have to go, you know, should I start looking to get a job? Wow. Um, so I had to actually sit with myself and like, think about those things. Hmm. And, you know, I knew that I wasn't ready to, ready to quit or ready to like transition out hmm. yet. And I had more to give. And so I, dove back in and I needed to find some structure. And I told myself, you know, if I'm going to go and go all in again, I wanted to do things that were going to make me happy Mm -hmm. um, and train what's going to make me happy instead of just like going on court and hitting like Mm -hmm. that. I'm going to continue to still be burnt out if I do that. 
And yeah. So I found, yeah, I found happiness like in a gym routine. Like I love working out in the gym, which is great. And I started working with um, a fitness, a fitness coach that I was working with at the time. And he helped me a lot because he gave me structure to do. So that helped. And then with squash, that was um, a more difficult question because, you know, it's hard when you're just kind of not loving the sport to find that enjoyment on court. And so I thought I was like, okay, I'm only going to really play squash if I'm like going to have fun with it mm-hmm. again, because I needed to find that fun aspect. Yeah. Um, and I found it through playing um, two against one versus the pros at the racket club. Okay. And it was so much fun. I loved it. Awesome. And they got me out of that rut and we would play like once, twice a week, and we would just, it would be super competitive. We would just banter each other all the time, like just talking smack, like, and it got me in that mindset again. And I had so much fun doing it too. Like that fun competitive mindset that I was missing and it made me enjoy the sport again. And then, and then you talk about that snowball effect where, you know, it starts to happen. And then once the ball starts rolling, then everything kind of follows. And so then I started to get more into my stride of like, okay, I'm enjoying this. I'm in a good routine. I'll started training more. And then you get the bug again and you're like, okay, I'm ready. And when that tournament then got announced too, I was like, (laughs) okay, let's go redemption. Like I'm not ending 2020 off with those like crappy results. Mm. I want to show people that like, I have more to give. I'm a better squash player than that. And so that's what I did. Amazing. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. That's so such good details. And th- there's so many, so many things I can extract from that. And anyone listening can really hopefully take, take heed of that. You know, that tough conversation you have to have with yourself, where do I go? But, but for me, the main message is, is, is fun, you know, finding that fun. I think, I think we've got to be more playful with our lives. You know, I think a lot of time life is as serious as it is and finding yeah. that playful element is so important. And yeah, like seeing you on social media, they, they I think it saw you kind of collapsing after the matches sometimes the sweat angels on the court and so yeah you could kind of see you were sharing it it was fun and then I think you had a bit of a a series with your sister as well and you were doing that can you talk was that part of the fun element as well yeah so that was after blackball that was in January um and we at that time too like we didn't know when the next tournament was um so that's I started coaching a bit because I was like I need to make income um so I was grinding a bit in January but it gave me a purpose um, because I was coaching. I was giving back mm-hmm. to the next generation. And I love that. Like I love helping the next generation of kids, like especially junior girls, wanting them to like get better, succeed, helping to just have them achieve like their best, their best selves, mm-hmm. um, whether on the squash court or in life. And like to be able to make them happy and to get success, like that brings me joy and happiness. And uh, so on top of coaching, I was then, I was training as well. And it was tough to do both because the coaching, I was commuting an hour and a half up to New Jersey to do that. So those would be long days. But um, by the end with training, I also had my sister. There are a couple guys at the the rack club to play with. So there was a good environment. Um, And one day my sister and I were hitting like at the end of the week of Friday and we were just dead, exhausted. And so we joked around, we had plans to just drill. And then we joked around and I was like, let's just play a game. And she was like, okay. So we played a game and it was brutal, like four <laughs> games, everything. And, but we had fun. We had fun doing that. We were dead, but we had fun. Um, and I was like, and we trolled each other on social media. We were like, okay, who do you think's going to win? Like we're both yeah. exhausted today. And then um, and people, people enjoyed that engagement. Yeah. And I'm all about, I'm big on the community engagement. I think the power of social media is phenomenal in that aspect. And especially mm-hmm. when we're in lo- a lot of people are still in lockdown. It's a great way to connect with the squash community and the fans and everything. And that makes them happy. It makes me happy knowing that like I'm making them happy and stuff. Um, so the next week I was like, okay, well, we're going to stream it next week. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what we did. And we had such a fun 
match. It was so brutal. I won 11-7 in the fifth, sure. but so much fun. And like, we're playing with a mask on, we're dying, absolutely dying. But we had a lot of people tune in and they really enjoyed it. And it was almost as if it wasn't a training session. It was, we were just being performance, like performers. And we are sharing this experience with other fans and people in the world. And that, that truly like is what I love doing. Mm. Um, and we had, we had a blast. Amazing. We, yeah. We did that again the following week. Um, and people loved it. So it was, so cool. it was a great time. And I think that just the fact that there really wasn't any professional squash happening and a lot of people were in lockdown and it's January, it's winter. Like it's, it's a tough time for everybody. Yeah. So the fact that we could just bring some enjoyment into people's lives um, was truly fulfilling. Amazing. Oh, it's so cool. And yeah, no, it was really cool to see the uptake. And sounds like you're touching on, on, on a bit of the concept of altruism and, and giving back. And, and I think it's such an interesting thing and effective altruism and, and how that all works. And I've always said, you know, and it's hard to get the balance, but you going into coaching and giving back. And if you can actually let that mold into your being somehow and you can get the balance, I think that's a great thing. So I don't necessarily always recommend some of the young pros I work with go and coach, but part of me also does. I'm going, you know what, go and give back a little bit and go and go and feel what it's like to be on the other side of that coin where you're having to be the educator. And sounds like you tapped into that a little bit. So you think it's something you might investigate when things go back to normal or what's your thoughts there? Well, yeah, I actually, um, when I was living up in Boston, I was the assistant coach for the MIT men's squash team for three years. Um, oh. It started when I came back from my injury um, and Thierry's the head coach there. So he's my coach and his assistant left the time, the year I was injured. And so he was struggling to find an assistant. It's not really that in, uh, big incentive of a job. Like the, it's not great, but um, I told him, I was like, listen, I will be the assistant as like an intermittent time while you find somebody. Sure. Okay. Just because I was like, just because you're desperate and you need somebody. I was like, I will help you. Um, turns out I loved it. I got so invested with the kids. The fact that and it, it is what you said like you're on the other side of the glass like you're not in it as a player and I think it's so as a coach you have to focus so much on and it makes you think a ton on like how do you connect to each of these players because all the players are different and you have to find a way to get your message across to them in different um, channels and you have to be able to gauge like what do they need at this time and you don't have much time like in between games like you have 90 seconds. You got to figure out like, what do they need? What are the right things to say? Mm. Um, and I was very conscious about like my body language outside of the court, like making sure that if they did look out and they're like freaking out, like they know I'm like reassuring them, like you got this, everything. Mm. Um, so it was, it was such a great experience. I loved it. Yes, um, I loved it almost to the point where I was now investing so much time into them that it was taking away from my own like energy and training, which is what I found when I was coaching in January as well, is mm -hmm. that, you know, I loved it. I love giving back everything, helping out others, but at to, to what cost? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and the cost was that like mentally I was starting to get depleted I was starting to get burnt out. It was taking away from my training. Um, and then I wasn't, and then I wasn't enjoying it as much anymore. Mm. Uh, so I've gotten to that point where I know once that does happen, like I, I do have to kind of step away from coaching and just go back into training, which is kind of what I've been doing this month. Presence, process, persistence, the essence of Squash Mind. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.